Thank you. Uh, thank you for that warm and generous welcome. You haven't heard the sermon yet, so uh, I'm grateful. Yes, yes. Um, it's good to be here with you all. Uh, I am uh, especially grateful for all the hospitality. This weekend, I got here on Thursday, and uh, I have uh, been uh, luxuriating in uh, the warm welcome of this congregation and also uh, Charlene's family. Um, I am, uh, Charlene is a partner in all things crucial with me, and uh, so I'm especially grateful to be here standing in the pulpit from which she preaches on Sundays. Uh, Charlene's one of only two preachers that I listen to on a regular basis, and so I've seen the backs of many of your heads, uh, <laughs> and now it's so good to see uh, the front. Um, uh, this morning, uh, in, in these complicated times, uh, I just bring a simple word. Um, a word about leprosy and lunatics and returning to give thanks. Uh, the novelist Kurt Vonnegut wrote that there are three types of specialists that are needed for any revolution to be successful. Without all three of them, uh, every revolution will fail. Now, the first specialist is the explainer. This is someone who can make the complex sound simple. The second specialist is a citizen that is in good standing, who is respected by their community and who will vouch for the ideas of the third specialist. The third specialist is the most difficult to find. The third specialist is an authentic genius. And Vonnegut says the authentic genius is someone that is capable of having obviously good ideas that are not in general circulation. And he adds that the genius working alone will always be ignored as a lunatic. Jesus was a lunatic in his time. He is very popular now. Everybody's best friend, but once upon a time, only other lunatics could recognize him. Listen now for God's word as it comes to you and for you from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. And keeping their distance, they called out saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, get up, go your own way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title of this sermon is Leper Number 10. Well, it seems that we have run across another story of divine, miraculous healing. He is on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing through the region between Samaria and Galilee. And on his way into an unnamed village, he is confronted with the uncomfortable presence of 10 lepers. And they keep their distance as lepers are expected to do, considering they are ritually unclean. They keep their distance, but they cannot be ignored. They are lepers, and they might be lunatics. 
The word leprosy comes from a Greek word that means scales on a fish. It's caused by two bacteria that affect the nerves and the upper respiratory tract and much of the physical suffering happens inside the body. But if you suffer from leprosy, it is impossible to hide. The nerve damage and respiratory condition are typically coupled with skin lesions that appear all over the body. And because of the gruesome lesions, leprosy looks much worse than it actually is. Now, any of these persistent symptoms could lead to temporary exile from the community until this dermatological dilemma is addressed. Now, if somehow a leper's skin miraculously returns to its natural hue, the next step was to have your healing validated by a priest. And if the priest declared that your body was ritually clean, the final step was to address the impurity of your home. The priest would consult Leviticus 14 and 15 for detailed instructions on how to clean or replace portions of plaster or stone in a former leper's home. And if these meager measures don't work and the disease continues to spread in the house, the priest is obligated by law to declare the home condemned. And after a demolition crew does its thing, the rubble is carried out of town to the designated dump for dirty, leprous rubble. Well, if a complete demo wasn't necessary, the priest would show up with two birds, an armful of cedar wood, one spool of yarn, and hyssop for an elaborate cleansing ceremony at which one of the birds will die. The other bird will be released, but not before it's tied to the cedar and the hyssop and dipped in the blood of the dead bird and I'm assuming that the yarn was used to tie all of this up because the final step is for the priest to sprinkle the blood that's dripping from the unlikely mixture around the house seven times. This extended directive covering the disease and the house and the birds concludes with these words. This is the ritual for any leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous diseases in clothing and houses and for swelling or an eruption or a spot to determine when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the ritual for leprous diseases. And so Jesus sent the 10 lepers on their way to show themselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. They got to skip all the part that I just told you. And the long process of ritually purifying the home and the clothes and the family of each of the 10 lepers was left behind. Praise God. They would soon escape the lonely world that's inhabited by outcasts and others. Before long, they would be back in the fold with us, rubbing shoulders with the same neighbors that shunned them from a distance while their leprosy turned them into temporary strangers. Praise God. As soon as the priest Jesus sent them to see made a declaration of cleanliness, the 10 lepers would get to go back to the good life that is reserved for those of us with good skin. Praise God. And at this point, the story should be just filed away with Jesus' other miracle healings that are done from a distance. Praise God. Nothing more to see here. 
Amen. Ten lepers, they cry out for mercy. Jesus acknowledges their problem, fixes it quickly, and sends them along to the priest who will take care of ritually cleansing whatever residual impurities the lepers left behind. The ten lepers received the grace they anticipated when they cried out to Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The ten lepers are on their way home and it would be so easy for us to just stop here and gaze at their backs. The backs of the ten lepers as they skipped along to locate the priest, we could just wave them along confidently, smiling widely, and reassured that Jesus won't forget about us. If and when we let out a leprous sounding cry of, Master, have mercy on us. It's a good story. Jesus revealed or relieved their physical pain and he reduced their social distance and he suspended all of their spiritual sorrow. It is a good story. Praise God. He heard the cries of the displaced and the marginalized and the lonely and the outcast. Praise God. He offered new life to 10 lepers who were strangers in a new village. He did for them what they couldn't do for themselves. We should stop right here and get on with the rest of First Prez Fest. Doesn't it feel good to trust in Jesus when you knew he's doing work like this? If he's got the lepers covered, you know he's going to take care of us. I could skip out of here just like the 10 lepers and head outside for the bounce house and the barbecue. I don't need to hear anything else this morning. This Jesus has got my back. Oh, I don't need to say anything else because Jesus has already said it all. I'm ready to run on home like the 10 lepers and get on with whatever the rest of this day holds. I'm not messing with that dead bird, but I will take Jesus at his word and believe along with the rest of you that there is power in this miraculous story of healing that can sustain us through tough times, and seasons of loneliness and sharp-edged moments of life when nobody knows the trouble that we're in and when it feels like everyone is looking at us like we are lepers. We could go home with the 10 lepers, but one of them is messing with our script. One of them has stopped and he has turned around and now he's walking back to find Jesus and he has something to say and of the 10, he's the last one that you would expect to say it. The other nine are gone. They're in the bounce house already. They, they have disappeared along with our determination to glide through this apparently simple miracle story and the other nine are gone and so is our excuse to ignore the point of this story the gospel writer of Luke is the only one that tells it. And this shouldn't surprise us. Luke never allows us to ignore how wide the gospel of Jesus Christ is determined to stretch, whether we're ready or not. And Luke can't help but highlight the stories of small, simple people and the voices of the silenced and the faithfulness of foreigners. The other nine are gone. They are healed from their disease that displaced them in their own land. 
but it is the Samaritan who has returned. He is the least likely of that bunch to turn around. His people have been foreigners to the faith community of Jesus for centuries. Samaritans and Jews, they live alongside each other, but they are not friends. The Jews considered them to be half-breeds and squatters. And so you can imagine the extra special disdain reserved for a leprous Samaritan. This word foreigner might as well have four letters in the gospel. It's only used one other time in all four gospels. In Matthew 27, Judas returns the 30 silver pieces that he has earned for betraying Jesus. He returns it to the chief priests and the elders, and you know what they do with it? They, they in turn use it to buy an extra field for burying foreigners in unmarked graves. And so it's leper number 10 and the nameless disposable bodies that are buried in a field bought with blood money. They're the only people designated as foreigner in all of the Gospels. To be foreign is to be purposely forgotten. They are the ones that we are permitted to miss. Because we've never bothered to learn their name. They are foreign. They're not like us. Their bodies are an imposition. Their stories are a burden. But today, the ease of our forgetting is challenged by the exploits of a leprous Samaritan. He won't let you forget about him. And is the kingdom of God that you hope and you pray for is it big enough for the leopard number 10 that's known by more common names like recently released felon that served his time but is still being punished every time he applies for a job or an apartment? Leper number 10, a lunatic. How about the college dropout that came home to care for her parents and siblings and can't find a place to fit in? Leper number 10. A lunatic. How about the young couple that's the picture of perfect health but is silently struggling to manage their expectations and their dreams and their hopes that their infertility will one day pass. Leper number 10. Lunatics. How about the older adult with something to say but no one around to listen because it's youth that we cherish and age that we fear. Leper number 10, a lunatic. He is a foreigner in a fast-moving world that doesn't have time to notice the figures on the fringes. Leper number 10, but it's the figures on the fringes that keep approaching Jesus long after we're gone. And it's the figures on the fringes that Jesus continues to stop and count. And it's him once again, an outcast. Considering his nine friends have determined that turning around to acknowledge the source of their healing and the fountain of new life, the maker of their resurrection is not worth any more of their time. And it's him, the foreigner, the outsider, the black sheep, the pariah, 
the persona non grata. It's him that is lying today, stretched out on the ground with his face downward, facing dirt directly in front of Jesus' sandals. And it's him, leper number one, or number 10, that won't let us go home until we too return and say, thank you. I told you it was a simple word for a complicated time. And at a time when our focus is on an uncertain future and our prayers are for transformational change and our hope is urgent and we're tired of waiting and we're quietly concerned that God forgot about us, only a lunatic would interrupt the march of progress to return and give thanks. So what about you? Have you turned around to return to bow before grace? Several summers ago, I passed through Minnesota. I was invited to this writing workshop with 11 other pastors at this small school up there. And the, the location was idyllic. It wasn't as beautiful as Berkeley, California, but, but it was nice. There was a lake. It was on the countryside. The weather was perfect. We were told it would be quiet and perfect for writing. And it was a trip that I had anticipated for many months. But by the second day, I had a big problem. My father is known in our family for his uncontrollable urge to interrupt family trips to see old friends that he claims would disown us if they knew he was passing through and didn't stop for a visit. Now, these impromptu visits are a big pain in the neck because his friends almost never live right around the corner like he promised. And we usually would get lost on the way there. And even if we just ate on the road, we would always have to eat again. And when I shared my excitement about the workshop with my father six months earlier, uh, he celebrated with me. And then he immediately ticked off a list of 10 friends from Ethiopia that lived in Minnesota that I had to visit. I could avoid nine of them, but his friend Edmasu from his tiny village would be there visiting his own kids. And I knew his name, but I couldn't have picked him out of a crowd. And on day two, my phone rang and the caller ID foreshadowed what was to come. Reluctantly, I answered, uh, hello? It's my father on the other end. Amos, how, how are things going? I say, good, everything's good. We're busy though. The schedule's packed. <laughs> and he says, have you talked to Edmasu and arranged a visit yet? When are you going to see him? Well, oh uh, yeah, we, we exchanged emails, but you know, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get back to Minneapolis to see him. Uh, we only have one free afternoon and it's a two hour drive. Amos, I don't care how you do it, but do not come back to South Carolina without seeing Edmasu. I will talk to you later. Goodbye. <laughs> and Edmasu said he'd drive to see me on my free afternoon, but I, I knew going to his house was the right thing to do. You have to return to grace, you know. And so I arranged him to catch a ride on the way back to the airport with one of my colleagues on the last night after we had a late final meal with our group. 
And we arrived in Minneapolis about 11.30 and Edmasu literally picked me up on the side of the road. And true to his native form, we, we got lost going back to his house. And by the time we arrived, it was midnight. And even then, it was clear from Edmasu's smile and the abundance of hugs that they were excited to see me and even more excited that I was in their home. And, but at this time of night, I figured after a few minutes of catching up, I would just show them a few pictures of, of my family and we would all go to bed and we'd wake up early and they'd get me to the airport and I could return home to my father and tell him I did the thing, but, but they had other plans. And Edmasu asked if, if I could eat. There's only one right answer to that question. And I said, of course I can eat. And we sat down and before I knew it, pots were being opened and a substantial plate of injera and what? Ethiopian food. It was all before me. I said, oh, this looks great, but I hope you weren't waiting on me all night to eat. No, Edmasu said, we, we haven't eaten yet. I wouldn't dare touch this food before you arrived. It was made in your honor. And as we ate, Edmasu shared stories of, about our family that I'd never heard and, and stories about my father and mother when they were young. And, and he wept as he spoke of his friendship with my father and, and we ate two plates. And then we drank real coffee. And before I knew it, it was three in the morning. And even now, today, I can still recall the smell of his home and the taste of the injera and the sound of his voice when he said, this food was made in your honor. And the look on his face when he saw me for the first time in 23 years. And Edmasu doesn't know this, but he opened a door to the soul of my family one that I could walk through. And in the midst of my serious writing workshop and my professional continuing education, I thought this visit that my father strongly encouraged would be a small thing. Something I could ignore if there wasn't time because I was just passing through. But it wasn't. Grace is not complete until we return to the one who grants grace to say, it wasn't me. Jesus the master had mercy on me. And we're all lepers in need of healing. And until we turn back to say thanks, we will all remain foreigners. But contrary to conventional wisdom, the only way home is to admit that we're all lepers and then to act like a lunatic by returning to him who was one. So go on, find your way back to Jesus. Be leper number 10, the lunatic, because it takes one to know one. In the name of God, creator, son, and Holy Spirit, amen.